I'd like to welcome back our, our speaker, Steve Faulkner and his wife, Sophie. Uh, they'll be delivering the message today. Uh, Steve will read the, from Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, and have a prayer, and then the all-special Kingdom's Kids. So from four years old to the second grade, after the prayer's read, y'all gather up along this wall, and someone will lead you to Kingdom Kids. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let then, uh, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you take the feeble words of this servant and you apply them to our lives. And may we leave this place saying it was good to have been in the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated in kingdom, kids. That's your cue. How many of you were here in this service last week? Raise your hands. Put them down. Boy, y'all are glutton for punishment to come back, knowing what you were in store for. And the rest of you, we missed you, and we're so glad to see you here today. I got to tell you, if it wasn't an hour and 15 minutes to drive here, my wife and I would consider coming here to church. We're so impressed with you folks and what you're doing here in Kennedy and Kennedy and the uh, surrounding area, and uh, it, it, the reception we've received, uh, we're just excited to be here again with you today. And and uh, I know that uh, Dr. Matt is doing a phenomenal job here, and Rosemary and the rest of your staff, and Donna and Jan and, and the praise teams. A lot of churches don't have a praise team. Mm, Y'all have praise teams, <laughs> and. You, you alternate in, in some of your teaching uh, assignments, and we're just so impressed with you. Well, I got to be honest with you and tell you that I have really struggled with the sermon for today. <clears throat> you know, there are topical preachers and there are expository preachers. The expository preachers expose the scripture. They take a verse or a passage and they expose it. They, they, they uh, get into it. They do the research and, and, the, uh, and, and I, I usually reserve that for Sunday night or Wednesday night when I'm teaching. Sometimes I'll do it on a Sunday morning. The other is topical. That's what I usually do. You know, if you're a visiting preacher, you're a supply preacher, you're an evangelist, you come in with what they call sugar sticks. It's a sermon that you can preach in your sleep. I mean, you've done it so many times, and I don't like that. It's, it almost sounds too professional. I pray that God will give me a message every time I get to preach, and that's what I've done here. But I'm nervous about the sermon. 
I had a dream this week. I dreamed that before I finished speaking, people were finished listening. And some got up and they began to leave. So I looked at the clock, and I, by the way, I didn't know where that clock was last week. I finally found it. It's on the PowerPoint back there. I was looking for it on the wall. But <clears throat> in that dream, I looked and it was 11.57. Oh, man, they're leaving. I got, I got to finish this. All right, let me close this in prayer. Well, they kept leaving during the prayer, you know. It's a nightmare. So I've got three sermons in my book. <clears throat> Two I've preached before. One I've never preached. And I've been working on it for three months, and the Lord would say, no, not this week, not this week, no, not this time. And he told me, this, it's time to preach that sermon. I normally type every word out in my sermon because if you have ADD, you get distracted, and you'll chase a rabbit. Oh, look, a chicken, you know, you all heard that joke, right? And I'm that way. So if I don't have my thoughts down, I'm in trouble. I'll just stare at you. <laughs> and you'll stare back. And I normally preach eight pages, maybe ten if I'm really long. This is 13 pages. Now, I know some of you are getting nervous. And you're thinking about that dream. Yeah, I know. It's called weaknesses. Heard about a college recruiter, and he was interviewing a high school basketball player. And he said, well, son, I hear you're pretty good. Pretty good. I'm the best there is. I'm, I, I average 45 points a game. I'm the number one uh, uh, rebounder in my high school. I've led our school to three state championships. Wow. Well, do you have any weaknesses? Oh, yeah, I, I'm, I tend to exaggerate. <laughs> you see, the problem is we all exaggerate, don't we? We all exaggerate. And the truth is we all have weaknesses. Now, it might be a difficult thing for some of us to admit. <clears throat> I, I heard that 90% of men rank themselves above average in athletic ability. <laughs> I'm thinking of, oh, this boy, I'll get in trouble for this. I'm thinking of Al Bundy and married with children and what a great quarterback he was. You know. uh, not enough people watch that, I guess. Uh, I'm thinking of me when I was a child and I played little league baseball and I was a third grade, uh, a third base. Boy, could I play? Well, that was good. <laughs> then I thought as I grew older and I played softball and I, I played that third base, then I got to where I could pitch and you couldn't hit it because I'd throw that knuckleball. And, and then I got to be a little older and I played racquetball. I, I won trophies. And see, we all think back to those things and how, you know, because you look at me and say, you can't even walk straight. You played. Yeah. And we are like that. And whether we want to admit it or not, we all have weaknesses. And some of those are physical. Some of those are, are mental. They're moral. Some of those weaknesses have to do with our work, some of them with our family life, some of them with our relationship with Christ. But there are weaknesses. See, some of us have short tempers. Some of us lack diplomacy when we deal with people. Some of us are too proud. And others just lack backbone. But we've all got weaknesses. 
one of the truths that we have to come to grip with is that our churches are full of people who have weaknesses. So here's a brother, and he misses church repeatedly, and we know why, and it's not a good reason to miss church. Here's another brother, and he's not giving like he should, and we know where he works and how much, about how much he may, and we know that he wants to enjoy life. Here's a sister that enjoys having that drink a little too much, and here's another brother that swears, gets mad, and he's, before he knows it, he said something. And here's still another brother that, well, his doctrine isn't the same as our doctrine. Yeah. Yeah, the church is full of weak Christians. And just when you get to the point where you're admiring someone because they're a strong Christian, you really look up to them, they let you down. They disappoint you. You find out they have a weakness. <clears throat> so, so what are we going to do about all those weaknesses? Hmm? What about all those in church that are weak? What should our relationship be to a weak brother, a weak sister? <clears throat> well, we need to start with our relationship and our recognition that we are all weak. We're not perfect. Now, some of the members of the church are called strong and seen as strong and some are seen as weak and that's okay it's legitimate biblical language you know that I'm using here but there's no person in the body who is not weak we need to understand that rather we're all weak and we're all strong in certain areas of our Christian living and the word strong as I'm using it means that we've been our brought our, our behavior is brought in line with our pattern of following Christ. Strong. Weak means we haven't attained that goal yet. We're working toward it, but we haven't attained that goal of a strong Christian, a follower of Christ. If I've stopped trying to grow, stopped trying to mature, to live for Christ, that's, that's not weakness. That, that's unfaithfulness. That's another matter altogether. But we all recognize that as we strive to live the Christian life, there's some areas it's just more difficult for us to be what we should be. I might be strong in moral purity, weak in controlling my tongue. Or maybe I'm here every time the door is unlocked. I'm very faithful in my attendance, but I don't give as I know I should time and time again. We've According to Matthew chapter 26, the spirit is willing, but the flesh was weak. Hopefully, by the grace of God, I will grow and mature as a Christian. And I'll become more stronger in more areas of my life. That's our goal. But there's no strong Christians who don't have some weaknesses. We see it over and over. All through the Bible. Let me, let me give you some examples. How about Noah? Those of you who know your Bible, you remember what Noah's weakness was? Abraham? David? Elijah? Peter? Paul? And even Barnabas, encouraging Barnabas. 
If you don't know your, the weaknesses of these biblical characters, that's an interesting study to see that God still used them, God still loved them, and he still uses you and loves you. I can't imagine these people having weaknesses. They all did. They're strong Christians all around us. But some have a critical spirit. Some really want areas of prominence. And some are arrogant. It's just who we are. So we need to start with that confession. We're all, we're all weak, mutually weak. And we need to pray, pray, pray that prayer of David. You find it in Psalm 6, verse 2. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. And when we begin there, God can use us. Humble spirit. Some are weak. Some are weaker than others. But I'll repeat, none of us is without a weakness. I think to best answer the question of well, what do we do about that, Let's see what, how God feels about the weak. How does God feel about the weak? Hmm? Romans chapter 5, verse 6, we read, assures us that God loves the weak. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When did he die for us? When we were weak. Not when we were strong. When we were weak. He looked at that sinner on the cross. In his weakened state, Today you'll be with me in paradise. So how does he view weakness? Moral or spiritual weakness? Uh, words like weak and weakness are 87 times in the New Testament used. Weakness. And in all those passages, there's not one word of condemnation that goes along with that. Not one. It's not something that's extolled, but it's not condemned to be weak. Perhaps the best word to use that God tolerates weakness, tolerates it. Hmm. A refusal to move toward maturity is rebellion, though. God's against rebellion. Weakness does not mean impenitence or being callously Weakness. It means without strength. I'm just weak in that area. Help me, O Lord. In Isaiah chapter 42, the first four verses, Isaiah prophesied about somebody that God upholds and in whom he's delighted. That person was Jesus Christ, God's own son. And that passage is quoted then again in Matthew, the 12th chapter. The prophet Isaiah says regarding Jesus, don't miss this, a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. What in the world is that talking about? You see, the reeds of that day, and when you think of a reed, I know you're, if you're like me, you're thinking of a little skinny thing. It's a reed, right? Well, the reeds of that day grew up 10, 15 feet tall, and they were not flimsy. They cut them off at the base, used some of them as measuring sticks, some of them as walking staff. They were that strong. But if it had a bruise on it while it was growing up, they couldn't use it, so they just broke it up and threw it away. How does Jesus view the bruised reeds? By the way, that represents the weak people, you and me. Well, Isaiah says he doesn't break them up. He knows how fragile they are. He spends time with the bruised 
reads. He spends time with you. He spent time with his disciples. And he, he identifies their weakness and he challenges them to a higher plane, higher living. He doesn't break them. Thank God, because we are all broken reeds. What about the flax? Flax, you don't, you don't hear that term very often, but the flax, and you've heard of flaxseed and flaxseed oil. The flax, they even made clothes out of and rope. It was like hemp, flax. Well, they put a wick in the lamp had oil in it, they lit it, it brightened the room up. But when that oil would run out, the flax would start smoking, and it would fill the room, it became irritable to the eyes and to the lungs. And so the perfectly human thing to do would be, poof, snuff out the flax. No more smoke, no more irritation. What about Christ? Isaiah says he doesn't quench the smoking flax. He endures the irritation. And then he replenishes the lamp with oil very carefully. You don't want to put out what's left of the flax. He pours that oil in very carefully, very gently, and then he begins to blow on the flax to rekindle the flame. That's what he does with you. That's what he does with me. He wants to get that flax burning again so that it brightens up the room. Is that what happens when you walk into a room? Do you brighten it up or are you an irritant? Does it get darker because of you? God tries to bring the weak to strength. That's his goal for us. He will never poof us out. And he sent Jesus to this earth to show us how to live. What kind of an attitude that we needed. So we try and we try and we keep on failing. And just when we expect him to turn his back on us, because we certainly would, he says, let me help you up again. That's what grace is all about. You know, I, I worried about this sermon because, Lord, you didn't give me illustrations. You didn't give me jokes and they won't stay with me. You said, preach it. I'll take care of it. Lord, I, I don't know that our people need to hear this. Someone does. I don't know who it is. It's not for me to know. It's for me to be obedient when he tells me to preach and the word he tells me to preach. Jesus is committed to the weak. He went to the cross for the weak. And he has worked with bruised reeds and smoking wicks from the beginning. Think about the apostles. Well, they were anything but strong, cursing. That's Peter. He never knew what was going to come out of his mouth. He spoke first and thought. And it was, it was Peter that swore three times. He didn't even know Jesus when he was being crucified in the trial and and then there were James and John. Have you done a study about the sons of thunder and why they were called sons of thunder? It was because of their temper. There was a Samaritan town that Jesus said, go into the town and we're going to get provisions from the people there and reside here for a while. 
And the Samaritan town said, get out of here. We don't have anything to do with you. So James and John said, all right, Jesus, you want us to call down fire like, like, like uh, the prophets of old? No. Sons of thunder. <laughs> and, and then they got into an argument. They said, are we going to be on your right side or your left side when you come into your kingdom in Jerusalem? And then the, all the disciples got in an argument about it. They were immature. They didn't understand. And Jesus kept talking about a spiritual kingdom. They kept thinking about a physical kingdom. Jesus was all about serving and humility, and they were all about positions of authority. All of them were bruised reeds, smoking wigs. And Jesus loved them in spite of their weaknesses. And that's what stands out to me about his ministry. He never got mad. He never got angry with the disciples. As weak as they were, never lost his temper. Now, maybe there was disappointment in his voice, and he said, oh, ye of little faith. And, and you can almost feel that look of disappointment when he looks at Peter, and Peter had denied him three times. But he was never, never angry. See, our Lord is not naive. He knew about Peter's shortcomings, his failures, his weaknesses before he was called to be an apostle. And he knew about yours, and he knew about mine. Jesus accepted the pain. He put his faith in them before they let him down. He put his faith in them during the pain he was experiencing on the cross. And he maintained his trust until their wavering days were over. And 10 of the original disciples died a martyr's death. Judas did not. He died another way, didn't he? And the apostle, beloved John, lived a long life. They paid the price. God loves the weak. He tolerates the weakness until they grow to maturity. And closing, here's, here's, an, here's my final thought. How should you and I feel about the weak? We know how God feels about the weak. How should we? All right, here's an illustration. The cartoon. Lucy is writing a letter. And here's how she started it. D-E-E-R, and Charlie Brown jumps in and stops her. <clears throat> he says, that should be D-E-A-R in the salutation of a letter. The proper word and spelling of the word is D-E-A-R. Lucy goes back to writing and speaking as she writes, she says, D-E-E-R are beautiful animals found in most parts of the world. Charlie Brown is embarrassed and he says, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were writing about deer. I'm sorry, I apologize. She said, well, I hope so. Seems to me a lot of problems in the world are caused by people who criticize other people before they know what they're talking about. And she glares at Charlie Brown as he walks off. And she looks back at what she's written, and she crumples it and throws it away, and she starts writing again. D-E-A-R, Julia. <laughs> Explain that to your spouse tonight, please. You see, the truth is, those of us who are weak in certain areas are afraid to share our weaknesses with other Christians, just like she was embarrassed to share with Charlie 
she had a weakness in that area. See, if we share that weakness, we're taking a risk. So we put on a mask. No, everything's fine with me. I'm okay. I don't, I'm not struggling with anything. And the other Christians around us are afraid to share their weakness because you seem like you're perfect. Let me give you an example. A man comes to Christ, and he comes from a sordid moral background. And he gives it all to Christ. He turns, wants to go 180 degrees. And he is trying. But that background, some of it stuck to him, and, and he struggles with getting rid of all of it. He wants to be like those strong Christians and, and be mature and blameless in his conduct. And so the, 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 the Christians are watching him and, and they're impressed with his, his journey and they commend him. And then one day he falls on his face and they're embarrassed by him. And, and it seems to him they have no weaknesses. They don't ever fall. They never fail. He's too ashamed to openly confess when he has a sin, when he has a weakness, because he doesn't know how they're going to react. And, and when the strong come and try to restore him, he makes up excuses. Well, there was the, uh, yeah, there was the, and he quits coming to church. Because when he comes to church, he can feel the condemnation. You know what? Wouldn't it be great if we didn't have any weaknesses or our brothers and sisters didn't have any weaknesses? Wouldn't that just be great? It's not going to happen. So I'll ask you this. Would you rather the weak hold in that pain and their anguish or would you rather they identify with a strong Christian, someone they admire, and that strong Christian takes them under their wing and helps them in those struggles of daily life. We have a responsibility, y'all. As Christians, we have a responsibility. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, or chapter 12, verse 7, Paul is talking about the gifts that they had in the church. And you have gifts in your church. And he said this, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. God strengthens his people so they can support those that are weak. Where you're strong, I'm weak. Where I'm strong, you're weak. And we will help each other as we grow together in maturity at Christ. First Thessalonians chapter four, five, verse 14. Now I exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, Comfort the fainted, faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. And again in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about the congregation and how they should treat those that are weak. It, it, it was about it, those that had been converted from heathenism and then they were eating meat that was offered to idols. And some of you know that story. In chapter 9, he goes on to say, To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. He was talking about eating meat from the, from the temple. And, and some of the Christians were saying, Oh, you shouldn't do that. But they didn't know any better. When one of our weaker brothers or sisters 
does something like that, how do we react? <laughs> Heard about an evangelist years ago. Wow, long time ago. I can't remember his name. He, he was, uh, well, he came to know the Lord. And he was so excited after that revival service that night. The only thing he knew to do to celebrate was go out and get drunk. True story. That man became an evangelist for Christ. But I wonder how many people looked at him getting drunk after he was saved that night. And that did it for them. Are we like that? The word for trespass, which I'm about to read to you in Galatians, means an open offense. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Open offense. It's not a tiny slip. It's, it's, everybody knows about it. And right now you're thinking about someone. That same word is used in Romans chapter 5. In 1 Timothy 2.13, it refers to Adam's and Eve's sin in the garden. But you know what? If that sin is accompanied by sorrow and penitence, Lord, forgive me. Paul says to help the weak, even if it was deliberately against God. We struggle with that, don't we? Restore. That, that word means mending the nets or setting a broken bone. We need to stand with the weak. That's uncomfortable, isn't it? Helping them unravel the knots and put the pieces back together again. But what are we doing? Christian comes back after forsaking the assembly for a long time and wants to be restored. What are we doing? Are we making every effort to make them feel comfortable, getting to know them again, having them over for dinner even? Are we content to shake their hand and say, all right, God bless, good luck, I'll pray for you. Those of us who are strong have a responsibility and it's to help those who are weak. Here's, here's my final, final thing. There's three things I want you to remember. First, in order to do that, we have to confess, confess our sins. We have to admit, oh, Lord, I'm weak. Lord, I have weaknesses. Help me with my weaknesses. Second thing, we have to promote a closeness in the fellowship. As the community looks at us, do they see a love that they don't have? Something about those people. Boy, they, they stick up for each other. They love each other. That's, I mean, something about them. A closeness of the fellowship. And third, we have to be careful in our teaching as we condemn sin, but we're careful not to make the sinner feel like he's the enemy. Prodigal son left home. As he came back sometime later, the father and the older brother were watching, and he's coming down the road. And the brother says, look at the wickedness of the sin that he's committed. The father said, look how that sin almost destroyed my beloved son. We need to hate the sin and love the sinner. Mm. It's hard. How about 
How about you this morning? Are you a strong Christian? And you need to reevaluate your relationship with the weak, which starts with your relationship with Christ. Are you a weak Christian? And you need to come back into the fold. Come back in. I've already told you what a great church this is. Come back into this fold. Let them embrace you, not condemn you. Is your reed bruised? Is your flax smoking? The Lord wants to pour new oil into your lamp and he wants to gently blow on the flax and return it to a bright burning wick so that it gives light in all of the, all of the room. Let him do that. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for giving me these words for the last two or three months and for the opportunity to bring this message. Father, whose ever heart this needs to fall on, you know, and you know how to bring them to a realization that they need to come back to the fold or they need, as a strong Christian, to help those who are weak, not condemn them. We live in a condemning society, Father. So my prayer is that you will strengthen the love we have for you, strengthen the love we have for each other, and even strengthen the love that we have for the weak. Have your way in the hearts of your people this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. May we stand.